text for this morning will be coming from Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. The word of the Lord reads, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, with your spirits, brothers. Amen. 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 Uh, this world and we ourselves only have one hope. One hope, and that's Jesus. Jesus is our only hope in this world. The hope to the hopeless. Jesus. Oh, we have been privileged over the last several, several months as we have gone through the book of Galatians that has reminded us over and over and over and over again that Jesus is our only hope. God has been gracious to us and merciful in bringing us through the book of Galatians and we now come to our last message, to the, to the end of this epistle to the Galatians. Our prayer is that you have been challenged, that you have been encouraged, that you have been reminded that it's Jesus and Jesus alone. It's Jesus alone. He is our only hope. He is the one that we proclaim. And as we come to the end of Paul's letter, he is going to make that clear once again. Conclusions, conclusions are pretty, pretty important. Uh, they, they, if you're coming to the end of a book, the end of a television series, at the end of a movie, conclusions are extremely important. Conclusions sometimes wrap up or give a, an, an, an overview of what has been covered before. But what, what conclusions really do is they leave you with something. Oftentimes, that's the, at the end, at the conclusion of something, that's what you remember. That's what you, that's what you take away. And so, as we come to the end of Galatians, Paul's letter to the, the churches in Galatia, we will see his conclusion. And he's got emphasis. And they, there are points here that he wants the 
Galatians to understand, to walk away with as he concludes this letter. His tone throughout this letter has been forthright, hasn't it? He's been stern. But, but it is necessary. These, this, this, his tone has been necessary. His rebuke of the Galatians and his, is, is an admonishing in love. He is like any good father or teacher who sees their, their child heading down a wrong path toward danger. Any loving father is willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that his little ones don't fall off the cliff or keep them from going overboard, even if it means calling them foolish, as he did in Galatians chapter 3. Verse 1, to get their attention. Brothers and sisters, despite Paul's tone throughout the, most of the letter, it is evident that he has a genuine care for the saints in Galatia. His rebukes are loving rebukes. And we see that as he begins to close the letter in, in, verse, in verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you, with my own hand, Paul says. He is not unfamiliar with the Galatian. he, Galatians. He had spent time with them, pouring his life into them, and, and they have spent time with him. You remember what he wrote in chapter 4, verse 12 and 14. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You, you know it was because of my bodily, bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And through my condition, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did, not, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. Do you see there's, this, there's a relationship there that Paul had with the Galatian Christians, and although his, his rebukes are strong to them for, for turning towards the, the teaching of these Judaizers, he's got a love for them. He, he wrote this letter to those he considered brothers and sisters, fellow heirs with, with Christ. For his desire is that they would turn from the ones who had led them off of the, 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 the path, these, these wolves who had come dressed in sheep clothing who were coming to lead them astray, to lead them away. Reminds me of Christian's journey in Pilgrim's Progress. Christian is on the path and he is making his way, leaving from the city of destruction to the celestial city. And, and he has been told to head only to the celestial city and to stay on the path until Christian comes upon worldly wise men. You see, Christian has this burden on his back. It is a, it is a burden of the weight of sin. And worldly wise men tells him that if he would just come off the path and come to the city of legality, then he would be able to get rid of his burden easily by becoming moral. And Christian hears and listens to the sweet talking uh, worldly wise men and begins to follow him. 
to the city. Nearing the city, he, he realizes that it's danger. And who does, who does Christian run into? Evangelist. Evangelist comes and shares the gospel with Christian. And he says, Christian, how did you get off of the path? Didn't you, didn't you listen to what I said? Stay on the path. And he lovingly rebukes Christian and reminds him to get back on the path. So here is Paul. He takes the pen from the scribe. Paul's letters were often written by a, a scribe. So Paul says, here it is. I'm going to, to take the pen and I'm going to address you directly. Here, see with what large letters I am writing to you. To emphasize his point, to let them know, to put his mark on it. This is a letter from the apostle Paul. He desires to address them with a word to set them back on the path from which he left them. And so he finishes this letter. He finishes off this great epistle, this rebuking epistle with a warning, a rule, and a blessing. He gives them a warning, a rule, and a blessing. He, he gives them a warning. And here is the warning that he gives the Galatian Christians. Don't entertain false teachers. Brothers and sisters, the Galatians had received the word that Paul brought to them with joy. They, they were running in free in the grace of God. Paul says so in Galatians 5 and 7. You remember when he says, you were running. The gospel had come to them and loosed them of their chains and, and gave them legs to run. And they were running. They were running free. They were running like they stole something. Because that's what the gospel does, doesn't it? You realize that you don't deserve this grace of God and it causes you to run free. What the gospel does, rightly understood, you realize that you are no longer bound to sin. It looses you of your chains so that you can run free. And here were the Galatian Christians running free in the grace of God until the Judaizers showed up. They were enticed and captivated by the sweet-talking, persuasive Judaizers, the worldly wise men of the world. And so powerful was their pull that it stopped the Galatians dead in their tracks. And they, they fell hard and were now at the point of turning from a life of freedom in Christ to a life of bondage in the flesh. And Paul, throughout this letter to the Galatians, has been building his case for how foolish and how deadly it would be for the Galatians to go along with the teachings of these Judaizers. 
Paul has been, has been going in on these false teachers, breaking down their argument at every turn, confronting them at every turn, and winning the argument. Perhaps knowing that these Judaizers are not going to go down without a fight, that, and, and, and actually believing the word of the Lord that, that these weren't the only false teachers that the Galatians were going to encounter because Paul believed the word of our Lord in Matthew 24 and 11 when he said, and many false prophets will arise and many and lead many astray. He wants to once again warn them and expose these false teachers. He wants to paint a picture for them so that they recognize them and can steer clear of them. Brothers and sisters, please note. Please note that this warning Paul is giving the Galatians is for us as well. We need not entertain false teachers either. They're all around us. And, and here's, here's the deal. The, the false teachers Paul is confronting are no different than the ones we find ourselves among today. False teachers are like politicians. Once you've seen one, you've seen them all. Paul says, listen, Galatians, and therefore, listen, East Point Church, false teachers are really not that hard to spot. They are dead giveaways if you know what to look for. Paul tells us here what to look for. He tells us what to look for in these false teachers in exposing these Judaizers. Here it is. False teachers are bent on making much of themselves, much of their works, and using you to do it. Well, they're slick. They're, they're very slick. They're smart. They're cunning. And oftentimes we need to, to wade through the fluff and the nonsense, but eventually, eventually they are going to give themselves away. Because false teachers in our day are about making much of self. Here are the signs to look for. They are convinced they are, con they, they are concerned with making much of themselves. Look at verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. These are those who are concerned about how they are perceived. They, they want to know what people think about them. Not what God thinks about them. But what, but what others think of them, they, are, they put on for others, appearing as though they have everything together, that, that they have achieved a level of sinlessness. They are people pleasers. These are those, Jesus says in Matthew 6 and 5, who love to stand and pray 
in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Clean up the outside, but there's, but there's no change in the heart, no change of the heart. They are like the Pharisees who, who Jesus called whitewashed tombs, clean on the outside, but dead on the inside, making much of what they, they do and don't do. Quick to tell you about who they know, how many people they have in their congregation, what they know. It is those who think that because they don't watch R-rated movies or don't, uh, don't have a TV in their house, and that they don't curse or they, they drive 55 on 285, they think that they are really doing something. That getting things in order on the outside is what makes them pleasing to God. But is it not Christ who says that he looks on the heart? And brothers and sisters, if Christ looks on the heart and he is not there, I don't care how well you have swept, out the, swept up the outside, the heart is dirty. It is filthy. In fact, the Bible says that it's not a heart of flesh, but it is a heart of stone, lifeless, the only Thing emanating from it is the stench of sin, jealousy, and envy, and strife, and, and self-righteousness, pride. The list goes on and on. Paul says, these are the ones that want you to be circumcised in the flesh. They're not concerned about you. They're concerned about how they will look in front of their Years. For, the, for the Judaizers were part of the circumcision party. Jews who wanted to lay burdens on the Gentiles, that you were only part of the family of God if you were circumcised. Oh, Paul reminded them earlier in the letter, didn't he, in Galatians 4 and 17? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to search you out that you may make much of them. Why do they do this? Why? Because their end desire is a life of comfort and ease. Look at verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Here's a status update for you. The Christian life comes with persecution. It comes with persecution. The church has always been persecuted. You know, people like to make mention these days about how Americans are soon going to be faced with a lot of persecution. And when I hear that, I know their sentiments, but, but I, I want to I scream at the top of my lungs, are you serious? You, you're surprised that we as Christians are soon going to face persecution? Do you understand that right now as we sit in this warm 
comfy sanctuary, as we open up our Bibles and preach from iPads and have our fancy clothes, our brother, our bro- many of our brothers and sisters hold up, persecuted, spit upon, beaten, and even losing their lives for naming the name of Christ. Surprised that persecution would come? This is, this is what Jesus says. Those who would follow after me are to take up their cross and follow me. For true disciples follow after Christ are persecuted. They are promised that persecution will come. In Matthew 15 and 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. You keep my word, they will also keep yours. False teacher desires a life of ease, devoid of persecution, and therefore, they do not preach Christ crucified. They go along with the crowd. They go along to get along. These Judaizers knew that to preach the gospel of grace apart from works was going to cost them family, relationships, their, their esteem among this, this, this circumcision party. They would be mocked, beaten, and even killed. Judaizers were influenced by this crowd, by this circumcision party who wanted to keep the Jewish traditions and the laws. They did. They would then be part of the family. And this was the burden that they were seeking to put on the Gentiles. Brothers and sisters, if the teacher or preacher you are listening to is willing to compromise the gospel for fear of persecution or fear of man, do not entertain them. This, this issue of, of persecution in the, in the states and how it may be coming, perhaps, perhaps God might be sending persecution to reveal amongst us who really are the false teachers. Oh, brothers and sisters, when persecution comes, oh, you are going to quickly know and realize who the false teachers are for they are going to have no desire to preach the cross of Christ. It's a telltale sign of a false teaching. Are they adding to or watering down the message so that they might be accepted? Scared to mention sin for fear that someone might be offended or, or God forbid, send them an email about their message. Brothers and sisters, Paul says later on, for I bear on my body the marks of 
Jesus. Here is what Paul is saying. Look at, compare my life to these Judaizers. They, they don't, they, 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 they run from persecution. My life, look and examine my body and I bear the marks of Jesus. These are marks that have come to me as a result of preaching the cross. Paul preached the cross and he received beatings and lashes because of this message. But he says in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Here is Paul saying, examine my life. I have preached Christ, and my body bears it. It bears it. The false teachers, teacher doesn't do persecution, and therefore doesn't preach Christ. That's how you know. That's how you know. Paul also calls them hypocrites. Look at verse 13. They're, they're the hypocrites. For, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. False teachers are just downright hypocritical. Paul has made this point over and over again in his letter, but wants to do it again. And Paul is right to harp on this because this is so important for the Galatians to get. This is so important for us to get. If you are going to keep even part of the law, you have to keep the whole thing. It's not, it's not piecemeal. It's not, it's not an a la carte menu that you can choose from. If you're going to keep part of it, you got to keep all of it. Here's the, the thing, the list that most legalists seek to keep. They, they can't and don't even seek to keep the list themselves. Jesus says in Matthew 23 and 13, but woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Oh, they're, they're hypocrites. And in their, their, in their hypocrisy, they are keeping out children from the kingdom by laying up burdens upon them that they themselves don't even keep. Paul warns these Galatian Christians, and he warns us, don't entertain these false teachers. They are about themselves. They will eventually be revealed. They boast in their flesh. Don't entertain them. Paul warns them of these, these false teachers. But then Paul gives them a rule. He gives them a rule. Look at verse 16. 
And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of, of God. This, this rule that Paul is talking about, what, what does he mean here? You, you, this is the rule that we are to walk by. You, you remember that we began this chapter by talking about walking by the, Spirit, by the Spirit. The Christian life is described in the Bible as a walk. Ephesians 4 and 1, there, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In Ephesians 5 and 16, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Paul refers to the Christian life as a walk. And here he is given the Galatians a rule by which they are to walk by. And, and the promise that if they walk by this rule, that peace and mercy would come upon them. The peace of God would be, a, would be their portion, that the mercy of God would be their portion. But in order to receive that blessing, they had to walk by this rule. You know when giving people uh, rules, the, the best strategy for, for giving rules is to give less rather than more, right? Even in the, even in the Ten Commandments, we, we received the Ten Commandments, but, but Jesus said the, the whole of the Ten Commandments are summed up in two points, right? Love God and love neighbor. We, we, we know this. I had the privilege of several years ago taking a high school group over to Venezuela on a missions trip. Now, this was quite stressful um, because I was responsible for all these people's children, right? And so we are in Venezuela, and I had one rule, one rule. Don't lose your passport. Keep your passport on your person. And peace and mercy will accompany you. Because I am not going back to the States and looking your mother and father in the face and telling them you are still there. <laughs> it's the only rule I gave them. Keep your passport. Here is Paul. One rule. One rule to walk by. Here it is. Here is the rule. Boast in the cross of Christ. Verse 14 and 15. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. You want to know how to walk a faithful Christian life? Choose to boast in nothing except the cross of Christ. In other words, Paul is saying boast in the gospel. Boast in that which is the, the power of God unto salvation. Boast in the truth that the wrath of God was poured out on Christ and not on you. Sing with the songwriter, I will glory in my Redeemer whose faithfulness has ransomed me. That's what you boast in. 
boasting, when the scriptures talk about it, have one focus. The Bible is clear in terms of who is worthy of our praise, who is worthy of our honor, whom we should celebrate and make much of. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, it says, It's not in your wisdom, let not the man boast in his wisdom. Let not him boast in his might. Let him not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him boast. Who boasts? Boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For these things I delight, declares the Lord. Paul says this in Philippians 3, verse 3, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit. We are circumcised ourselves, and we worship by the Spirit of God and glory where? We glory in, the, in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Here is something to think about. We boast in what we worship. The person who worships money is going to boast in how much money they have. The person who worships themselves is going to boast in themselves. We boast in what we worship. But, but the rule for the Christian walk is to boast in the cross of Christ, for we are called to worship him. False teachers boast in the flesh. They do not boast in the cross of Christ. Listen, if, if you are listening to someone and if you are being encouraged to make much of your wisdom, to make a big deal of your education, much of your finances, much of your works, brothers and sisters, you need to flee quickly. The Christian has one boast. We boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You got to know what to look for. So subtle. So subtle how it creeps in. You got to wade through the, through the fluff and, and through, the, through the niceties and get to the root of the issue having a conversation with a Jehovah's Witness a year ago. They came to my door and we were, we were, we were discussing. We've made multiple trips and the issue we got to was, was Christ alone. That was the issue I was seeking with them. That's the issue I was seeking to get to. But he kept on adding on works. And he getting frustrated and said, oh, we're saying the same thing. And I said, no, sir, <laughs> we are not saying the same thing. It is Jesus Christ and him alone. And if you say, and, you have lost the gospel. It's subtle. Oh, he was saying, oh, I agree with you. I agree with you. But we're just going to say we're saying the same thing. I'm just going to add works onto it. No, no. Subtle. We got to know what to look for. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2, And when I came to you, brothers, did not, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is, this is what drove Paul. This was his one message. It was the gospel. The reason I, I think Paul tells us to walk by this rule, namely boasting in the cross of Christ, is because when we boast only, only in the cross of Christ, it reminds us of the truths of the cross, truths that relate to our lives. Do you realize how freeing it is to boast in the cross of Christ alone? You realize how walking by this rule helps to keep you from falling prey to the sweet talkings of the false teachers. When, when, when you boast in the, the glory of Jesus Christ in the cross, the gospel screams out truths. It shouts them to you. Here are the truths that it shouts. I no longer identify with the world. I identify with Christ. Verse 14, but far be it from me, Paul says, to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Has not this been the point of Paul's message, his overarching theme throughout to the Galatians? You remember what he says in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Christian's identity, your identity, Christian, is now wrapped up in Christ. The Gentiles, these Gentile Christians, these Gentile Galatians did not have to look for to the Jews for their acceptance. They had acceptance from Almighty God because they belonged to Christ and Christ to them. How freeing is that for the Christian? who is seeking to walk faithfully in this life. Listen, you don't have to be tossed to and fro by the world's labels any longer. You don't have to live up to other people's standards and expectations of you. You are no longer enslaved to legalism, enslaved to pleasing people. You are free from worldly traditions and laws, your identity is in Christ. Christ defines you now, not the world. Your identity is in Christ. But not only that, it screams that our identity is in Christ and not in the world, but it screams that my assurance rests on, not on external works, plural, but on an internal work, singular. 
Verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Paul reminds the Galatians that salvation is not something you work up. It, 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 it's not some external mark or, or pin that you, that you put on your clothing. An eternal work must take place. You don't become a Christian by wearing a t-shirt or going to church or even reading your Bible. Salvation is not something you do to yourself. It is done to you. This is why when people get baptized here at East Point Church, we want to stress over and over again, baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't save you. We can, we can put you under the water and hold you there for 10 seconds, and you, if the internal work hasn't been done in your heart, you're still going to be in your sin. Baptism is the external sign of an inward reality, of an inward truth, a work of the Holy Spirit in your heart is what counts. Your assurance is found in a regenerated heart that has been turned from a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. There is an internal work. You are a new creation. Paul says in Romans 2, 28 and 29, that no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. This is what counts. This is what matters. When I come to you, I am not so much concerned with the external. I want to know, are you born again? Has the Holy Spirit regenerated your heart and given you faith to trust Christ? That's the one thing that counts. Here's the deal. And if that's the one thing that counts, then anything else counts for nothing as it relates to my acceptance before God. Listen, if I homeschool and you don't, it counts for nothing. If you watch TV and I don't, it counts for nothing. If you celebrate Christmas and I don't, it counts for nothing. The question I'm coming to you to ask is, are you born again? Has the Holy Spirit done a work in your heart where once you were a slave to sin, now you are a slave to righteousness that you are trusting in Christ? The external is going to take care of itself. It's the inner man works and destroys that old man. Has your heart been turned from a heart of stone into a heart of flesh? That's what counts. It's not the external. Here's the question. If our boast is supposed to be only in the cross of Christ, 
What are you known for? In other words, what do people hear you talking about the most? Do you find yourself boasting in external, moral, good things? Or do you find yourself boasting and talking about the cross? You should be known for the cross. You should be known that when people come to you, you, they know that they are going to hear and point you to the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's what you boast in. Not your works. You don't point them to what you've done. You don't point them to your life. You point them to Christ and his righteousness because that's where their identity is. That's where the new creation comes from. Boast in Christ. Paul gives them a warning, gives them a rule, and lastly, he gives them a blessing. How fitting for Paul to close with a blessing. He started off the letter with guns blazing, but he ends with a blessing. And notice that this blessing is twofold. Twofold. There is the blessing of belonging to the people of God and the blessing of the presence of God. First, the blessing of belonging to the people of God. Is, isn't this how the whole thing started? The, the Judaizers were saying that these Gentile Christians were not really part of the family of God because they had not been circumcised. Paul, all, all throughout the letter, has been skillfully using the Old Testament to refute these claims. He appeals to Abraham and to, and to Sarah, declaring that those who are in Christ are the true offspring of Abraham. Paul wants to encourage them with this truth one last time. And in verse 16, he says, as, And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. The Israel of God. Now, some would look at that verse and say, well, it's just for the Jews. It just means the Jews. They fail to realize here is Paul reminding the Gentiles that they are indeed part of the family of God. They are the true Israel. They, they, they're the true church made up of Jew and Gentile that we learn about in Ephesians 2, 14 through 26. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, Jew and Gentile, broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and, and might be reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The blessing that comes to those who are in Christ is that you are part of the family of God. You're part of the household of faith and recipients of all of the benefits that go along with it. You don't walk the Christian life alone. You have brothers and sisters to help you along in the journey. You have a father who loves you and cares for you and desires good for you. 
here is the final blessing. Twofold blessing. And it comes in verse 18. And perhaps there is no greater truth to leave this study on. This series on the case for radical grace. Paul leaves us with a glorious benediction. Verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Listen, the, the Christian life does not get lived apart from the grace of God. It doesn't. To walk in your own strength, trusting in your own works, is to be a dead man walking. The one who trusts Christ has the promise that Christ will be with you. He will keep you. He does not forsake you. It is the grace that carries you. It's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is abundant. It is undeserved. It is unmatched. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is radical. Have you not seen that throughout the book of Galatians? It is radical grace, undeserved, unmerited, unwarranted. Too often, though, we live our lives not under this radical grace, but under law. Oh, I hope you have been it has been impressed upon you to walk in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the radical grace that, that says that you who were once a sinner, wretched, dead, have been made alive in Jesus Christ. Welcome into the family of God, adopted into his household, lavished with grace and mercy and love upon love. This is the grace that we have been studying in Galatians. Brothers and sisters, boast in the cross. Walk by this rule. Lord Jesus Christ, be with your spirit. That is, that is a blessing not just for the Galatians. That, that's not just for the Galatians. That blessing is for us as well. So we leave the book of Galatians. And brothers and sisters, if I can, if I can sum it up in one word, one song, a couple of verses, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. That's it. That's all we have is Jesus. Oh, brothers and sisters, that is more than enough.